My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. Hello. I recently had the privilege of hosting a conversation at Grand Seiko's GS9 Club event in New York City earlier in November. There were a ton of incredible panelists, from Stephen Pulverin to the guys at Theo and Harris. I mean, it was just awesome. But I got to speak with old friends of the podcast, Michael Williams of A Continuous Lean, Mark Cho of The Armory, and Kia Bobzani, founder of Self Edge. We chatted about Japan, Japanese craftsmanship, and clothes, of course. I hope you enjoy this special bonus episode presented by Grand Seiko. Today, I'm joined by three of my very good friends, Michael Williams of ACL & Co., who created probably the original menswear blog, A Continuous yeah. Lane. Mark Cho, who is the co-founder of The Armory, uh, which is one of the best haberdasheries in the world. There's, and Kia Bavzani, who is, created SelfEdge, founder of SelfEdge with his lovely wife, Dimitra. Um, but today, we're going to talk all about Japan. We all love watches. Watches are great. Grand Seiko is the creme de la creme. <laughs> However, we're not going to do too much that day. This is really more about Japan, Japanese culture, and why we all love it so much. Um, so before we, we jump in, for me, I'll kind of like lead off quick and set the stage. Japan is a place that I've always loved, whether it's brands like Visvim, um, you know, brands like Grand Seiko, but like seeing how a appreciation of craft and craftsmanship at a level I still to this day am in constant awe and wowed by. Uh, and so I've gotten the opportunity to go to Japan before. It blew my mind from things like, let's just be honest, who here wants a Japanese toilet? Raise your hand. They are for free at the very end. That is not true. But anyway, it was just like all of just these wonderful, incredible things from, you know, simple uh, ideas. So Kia, I'm going to kind of jump to you first because okay. you had, uh, you've created SelfEdge. Yes. Which uh, is a, you know, a retail store that's built around high-end Japanese denim, yeah. right? And I think the, the through line all, uh, throughout all of this is like all three of these gentlemen are more or less informal and occasionally formal ambassadors of incredible Japanese culture and craftsmanship to the United States and honestly to the world. So uh, Kia, if you want to kind of like kick off, you know, SelfEdge has been in business for... Last um, week was uh, 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. Big flex. That's yeah. great. Yeah. But like... You know, self-edge for many people, it's like built around Japanese denim and Japanese. Yeah, that's how we started. Yeah. It's not so much how, where we're at today completely. But yeah. um, the idea with self-edge at the beginning was to take these Japanese brands we had discovered. Actually, oddly enough, we, I had discovered these brands in Hong Kong, not in Japan. But they're all Japanese brands. Um, and the idea was to bring them to the States for the first time and show them in a new light. Because pre-self-edge, uh, they had been peppered through stores like... Um, Barney's and Maxfield, but they were sort of mixed together with many other type of fashion lines. We want to bring this like one vision of Japanese heritage culture of Americana mm -hmm. to the States for the first time. And that was kind of the intention with Selfish. Yeah, but like what attracted you to, to Japan? Yeah. Like, what was I mean, it that you saw that you're like, that's I, Yeah, it. I mean, I, I discovered these brands um, in the late 90s. Um, I was buying vintage. I was into Rockabilly at the time, and I was buying vintage Levi's and Wranglers and so forth. And um, on a trip to Hong Kong, I realized that there was Japanese brands reproducing these jeans I loved so much. And they were reproducing them at a quality level, which I wasn't able to find in the States. 
And at the States at the time, like salvage jeans, you were just able to find like, like APC diesel. Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. Right. Um, and it's just, it's stuck in the back of my mind. I had gotten into retail before Selfage. I had a couple other stores, more street and skate stuff, um, that didn't work out so well. Um, and in the back of my mind, I thought it'd be really cool to have a store to really bring this stuff I had discovered once again in Hong Kong. I had never been in Japan at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to bring those to the States for the first time. And so when my wife and I decided to start Selfedge in 2005 or so, um, the idea really was to sort of find the best we could in Japan that was, that, that was doing this sort of Amerikaji yeah. thing. Um, and to bring it to the U.S. and display it in a way that made sense to like people we knew, like Americans. Because the Japanese, as you know, they, they shop differently. They view retail a little bit differently. They view the retail environment of merchandising differently, too. Okay. Um, unless it's like a vintage store, a high-end vintage store, like um, the really famous one. Like, like the, the most Jantiques. Yeah. Oh, Jantiques. Okay. okay. Yeah. It, unless oh. it's like that, which is like one of those beautiful stores in the world. Um, uh, the Japanese way of merchandising is very different than what we're used to in the States. So right. our idea was to sort of bring the product from Japan, but make it easier to digest for an American market. Well, on Japanese merchandising, I mean, it sounded like you were going to chime think, in. No, no, I think, I think Mark probably had, he was nodding his head. I think he, what's your perspective on that? I just nod a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, at least for, no, you, for Mark, you had, a, you had a similar thing with, uh, but on, the, you know, the highest end menswear. I mean, not so much on denim, you know, but I mean, I mean, can you talk a little bit about? Yeah. Um, so I, I specialize in this type of clothing, right? I specialize in classic style. So jacket, suits, shirts, neckties, that sort of thing. And um, Japan is a very interesting part of the world because they adopted um, Italian style very early on. So from about the late 80s onwards, they not only adopted Italian style, they really, really put all their energy into integrating that style um, into what was the fashion zeitgeist. And it has remained like that uh, for a long, long time. So even before, say, like a lot of uh, kind of the more niche Italian tailors started to come to the U.S. to do trunk shows, they were going to Japan um, because Japanese just had a sensitivity and a taste and were willing to pay up for that sort of thing. Um, and, and they that, appreciate where things come and how where, where things come from, yeah. how they're made, what goes absolutely. into them on a level that may, I don't want to say isn't uh, like doesn't translate to America in a way there's a, there's a certain audience I feel like in America that appreciates those things, but I think it's much more of a cultural, like a yeah. wide scale, like cultural thing. And it's built in. Yeah. Someone had a good line for that. Yeah. They were saying like in Japan, everything matters, right? Yes. Like every single little thing, no matter how trivial you might think still has an equal weight somehow in everyone's attention, which probably makes everyone very stressed out at the same time, but it, <laughs> it makes for like a really beautiful end result if you can live with it. Well, what's the merchandising thing here? Because that was something you touched on that I'm, I'm kind of curious. All about. I have to say about that is if you go to Japan and you shop in Japan, you do get, you're, you're very much romanced by the merchandising because it's yeah. done so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it shows you how you can see products differently when they're arranged in a certain way. Yeah. And well, I kind of have a little joke with my friends where if we take someone to Japan for the first time, we're out shopping it's like, why don't you look on Amazon and see if like that is sold in the U.S.? Because they'll think like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And then, you're, and then they look and it's like, oh, this is on Amazon. And I never would have considered it because it wasn't presented to me in a way that, you know, you almost get yeah. taken for like the presentation in a way. And that's just like one aspect of 
how retail is so advanced or so good or so enjoyable. So as an aside to that, like um, there's a great bar in Japan called Bartender in Ginza. And uh, the guy who runs it, whose name I've bloody forgotten, um, he basically wrote the modern textbook for like bartenders. He wrote this book back in the 80s. And to him, the idea was that the drink, making the drink, the preparation of the drink needs to be as visually enticing and as impressive as the drink itself. Right, so the experience matters from start to finish, mm-hmm. and they apply that to everything. They apply it even to the even to the most basic supermarket grocery display. Right, it'll yeah. still be like, oh, I want to eat that. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think you know, Michael, you really helped kind of springboard that. In or at least, I would say, like having people in the United States really understand and recognize that through uh, the early stuff of a continuous lane. You went to Japan, and you, I think, like for me, when you were chronicling your trip through it, I mean, I just lived vicariously through you. But like, when was the first time you went? What was that like? I, I worked for a Japanese company, actually, and was exposed to a lot of things from Japan. And one of the things that was sort of most captivating to me, and this is like in 2005 and six, was Japanese magazines. And we Free and just- easy. <laughs> R.I.P., everyone. <laughs> Um, so we, we just had, you know, I would see these magazines that were, and I'm sure Kiela can identify with this. You know, I, I see this virtuous, I'll come back to like when I first went there, but there's a little bit of like a virtuous circle between America and Japan in terms of taking inspiration or taking our culture, uh, interpreting it in certain way. In some, in some instances, like perfecting it, or I'm talking about things that are made like clothing items very specifically, um, taking denim, making, you know, pulling out like the really, really good sort of lost, forgotten, unappreciated aspects of American denim and redoing them and then having Americans go back and sort of rediscover them and then bring them back. And so it's like this like exchange, right? Um, but, but I worked for this Japanese company and, you know, I was, I was sort of shocked by the magazines. And then when I went to Japan for the first time around that time, like in 2006 or seven, I was like, I can't believe there's a whole magazine about chore coats and workwear yeah. yeah and like how does this exist and how could this and everything and, and then they would be in the factories talking about how things were made and to me that was really really interesting and I loved that aspect of uh how they appreciate where everything comes from and you know that to me has been one of the like guiding aspects of like what I what I work on and what I appreciate is that knowing you know it's anyone in this room that appreciates Grand Seiko would say, you know, what goes into the things that we buy matters tremendously, right? And it's like, we're, I feel like uh, not everyone has that appreciation, which I, I think is, is really cool. And a lot of times, like, I would want to know who are the people behind the brand? What do they like? You right. know, it's like, if you love Self-Edge and you're like, Kia's like the most amazing guy, like, it's just an, it's an enhancer of the store, right? right? Like, it makes you love it even more, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's... You know, because when I was starting to get into this, for me, everyone was like, oh, the best American denim is in Japan. And it, like, it didn't really make sense. But I mean, yeah. you touched on that a little bit. Could you elaborate further? Yeah. The best American denim is in Japan? Well, I think like it was more of just like <laughs> jeans. You know, jeans. Jeans. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we, it's a common story. A lot of people in this room have probably already heard. But, um, you know, as, the, as, as jeans became more, more and more mass manufactured and turned into a fashion item in the U.S. by the 70s and 80s, Japan was really then kind of taking off into the appreciation of vintage denim while the Europe and the U.S. was looking forward. And this kind of goes back to, in, in, my, in my mind, what's fascinating about Japan in terms of its overall design ethos in Japan is that um, even the most forward-thinking design in Japan is looking backwards. It's always looking backwards. There is no 
buddy designing in Japan that has any sort of recognition that isn't always referencing something from previous years. Right. Right. Even, you know, you look at like the Yoji Yamamoto in the 80s, uh, his first four collections were inspired by Hiroshima, the bombing of Hiroshima. And, you you know, you I don't think most people think that Yoji Yamamoto is making vintage inspired garments, but that right. sort of explosion of, 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 of seams in this was that's he dedicated those first three years of his life to this thing that he wasn't even born yet for. And I think this goes through with everything that Japan produces, whether it be watches or jeans or automobiles, there's a heavy reference to the past. And it's not the past from like around the world so much. It's like their own DNA is in the product. Um, And I think you see that more and more with a higher end brand, like a luxury brand in Japan, like a Grand Seiko or a a legacy style brand like a Toyota. Um, You see this constant referencing of the past, of the history. You see this with Nissan very, very heavily, especially in Japan. And the marketing of these companies is obviously a little bit different. I feel like once you leave Japan, they market the product a little bit different. And that's true with whether it's an sure. automobile manufacturer or a, or a clothing line. But this reference to the past and the history of their own country is, runs through everything in Japan. I find that really fascinating. And so when the Japanese sort of discovered the 501 gene. It the Levi's was, 501. Yeah. yeah, the Levi's 501 gene. Um, it was totally natural for them to just go head first and... The, you know, like the Osaka Five companies that started in the late 70s. They started, some of them started in the late 70s. Just very quick sidebar. Can you the Osaka explain five. the Osaka Five? The Osaka Five are the five um, Japanese denim companies that were started in Osaka. Uh, the first one, which started in 1979, which is Stuart, 1977, which is Stuart Artisan. Uh, 1979 was Warehouse. 1985 was Full Count. 1989 was, come on, help. You like that? He just kind of like pulled that right off the dome. I'm forgetting. Just like, yeah, oh, yeah, forgetting. yeah. But um, <laughs> I was going to say for a minute, you know, I don't know any watch reference numbers, but I also don't know any denim reference oh, numbers. Maybe, those are maybe this is great. No, no. <laughs> Once anything gets to reference numbers, that's yeah. when my mind shuts off. Meet, and, yeah, I'm kind of like that with watches too. But um, <laughs> the Osaka Five, like it's like the, these um, group of guys that were buying, um, they were all guys in Osaka that were buying vintage. They were coming to the U.S., buying vintage, um, taking it back to Japan, selling it for much, much more. A lot of them had the bright idea, why don't we just recreate these things we're we're selling? We can um, make many of them instead of just having one. Um, And that's what they did. And that's sort of, that still, I think a lot of people think that, like, they think of Japan, they think they love Americana, but they don't just love Americana, they love, like, the history of things. And it just, Americana is a big thing, and that's why it's big in Japan, but they love the history of everything, in my, in my opinion, and especially a designer of any kind. Clothing, cars, doesn't matter what it is. Um, I mean, if you're into like knives or anything, these things, they're so heavily referencing the past um, in Japan. And I think that's why they're so successful at, at design. Well, M- Mark, like I know that you're, when you talked about the early years of the armory, a lot of the inspiration of it was, at least when we were talking about around like your experience in Japanese retail. Like, yeah, I mean, what was that like for you when you'd first experienced it? Um, well, it was like retail like nowhere else, really. Like, people were very professional, very kind. Um, and despite being, you know, courteous and polite, they also kind of knew when to give you a little bit of a nudge to, like, you should do that. Maybe that's not so good, you know? Like, right. And that sort of advice, uh, in the, given in the right way, is very powerful. Uh, so as, like a, as someone who was starting to enter into the retail profession, I found that really interesting to see. 
Um, obviously, the merchandising itself was really, really impressive. And just how carefully entire collections that were bought across many different brands were curated and then put together. You know, it's like those things all look like they were born to be together, but really they weren't. I mean, someone spent months and months of their time trying to figure out how each one of those little jigsaw pieces that originally weren't really meant to fit there somehow did make a little picture. Yeah. Which was cool. Because I, I feel like, at least with other Japanese retail stores at the time, I mean, United Arrows and Beams and all those, yeah. like, they were amazing. But for them, and this is fine, there wasn't really much of a desire to, like, okay, let's teach everyone else in the world how to do this well. And I feel like that was one of the things you did with the Armory, you know, maybe even accidentally, it sounds like, you know, in, on how you were kind of replicating these these retail experiences. I mean, it depends on who you talk to about whether we do it well or not. But we, we do it in a very, like, particular way. Right. And it probably hews closer to the Japanese approach than to any other approach. Yeah. yeah. Was, that, yeah. was that something that was prevalent in Hong Kong at that time before you did it? No. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say... So you... what was the reaction to... Yeah. <laughs> uh, people were like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> then they started coming more often, and then they were like, oh, is this is more than a place to get free whiskey. And then they started buying things. Well, because wait, let, let's, just, let's kind of explain a little bit more further, because at least when the Armory opened, it was in a like art gallery place, which it now is like the cool thing, you know? But at the time... It was an art gallery place. It was, it was like a semi-derelict building. Okay. That like <laughs> people used to set people used to sell like end run knitwear out of. Okay. Sure. And then art galleries like, oh, it's cheap to be here. And you know. But we were actually there before the art galleries. Well, and then also I think too, and maybe this is not related, you were at like a specific location that was not good. No? Or Yeah. Uh, I'm at the end of a hallway on the third floor of an old building that, you know, some might even claim is derelict. And uh, no one had pulled electricity in that unit for ten years and in Chinese feng shui, like if to be at the end of a hallway okay. means you're at the end of your life. So you kind of don't want to be in a space that means you're at the end of your life. Okay. Yeah. But it worked out. So do you, you, you flipped the script and we're like, this is the beginning. Yeah. So it was <laughs> just yeah. a cavalier, irresponsible attitude to everything <laughs> that led to where I am today. What were the first around. brands that were in there? Like in this derelict building, I imagine you're selling like <laughs> expensive things. Uh, well, yeah. we definitely started with quite a few Japanese brands. I mean, we... We ring called jacket. ourselves, Ring Jacket was a very important one. So Ring Jacket is an Osaka-based tailored clothing maker. They make really, really great tailored clothing at a very reasonable price. Um, and uh, they became kind of a, key, a cornerstone of, of our whole business. Um, but, you know, we, just like the Japanese stores would, would mix a lot of different brands together. But what was interesting, and this goes back to what I was saying about Japan being so deeply into the classic Italian style, like Japanese uh, men's stores, at least in, in my world, not so much maybe in Kia's world, uh, tend to be either very English-leaning or very Italian-leaning. And there's mm. not actually that much blending of the different brands. Um, whereas for us, as a Hong Kong-based company, Hong Kong has always been a free port and has always um, been kind of the place where a product from all over the world congregates. Uh, so we tried to blend, um, take a much more international blend, where it wasn't just Italian, it wasn't just English, it was also France, Spain, UK, US, and so on and so forth. What are the, when you deal with Ring Jacket and, and just see culturally, because you also work with like a lot of very nice Italian tailors. Yeah. How are they different? Like, what do you see in them? Oh, I'm, I'm just taking over the I can answer that too. So <laughs> I know different. what I was going to say. They're so different. Well, I, I, okay, so well, I'll, I'll say this. Mark, you can correct me. <clears throat> um, I, there is a tolerance level of stuff that's accepted uh, mm. in terms of quality control, right? If you go to Naples, and I say this because I've had both experiences, you'll go to Naples. You're going to get a Neapolitan suit. As an aside, a Neapolitan suit is a very soft shoulder, hugs the body. It's supposed to, you know, this 
very casual thing, but it's also formal. And the tolerance level of the experience when you get something custom or bespoke, right? I think it is three to five centimeters. That's kind of big when you look at something that has to fit somewhat exact, right? Now, you take that experience and move that over to Japan with, say, someone like Ring Jacket, and this is also from my experience there, I think the tolerance is three millimeters, correct? It's less, yeah. Yeah, okay, less than it's, that. It's so, less, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> when you look at just the quality control, is kind of mind-boggling. And like, as, as we all love details and little things that are exciting, um, the box of clothes, right? It's, it's the box that the freaking clothes come in was so meticulously packed and artfully laid out. And like, I've worked in retail and other environments and you get a box from another place. No shade, no big deal. It looks like just a tire fire erupted as you open up, you know, shirts are flying through there, you know, I mean, and, and so just that experience, which I think is cool, has also elevated the due to globalization, right? Has elevated what Italians are trying to do and what Americans are trying to do. And like that, I mean, if you look at like, what's the big story behind this? It's how a love and appreciation of one culture has inspired maybe the culture that created that and has gone to say like, oh, we, we can do this too and we can improve too. Yeah. I mean, I think I think um, Michael, in my mind, played a huge part in linking and inspiring American brands to try to do what the Japanese were doing, or at at least at that level. And when I'm to blame for it, you are definitely. I I mean, mean, New York Times quite a bit. I mean, you're kind of the guy. You created an entire (laughs) generation of American designers that wanted to make product at the same level as Japan, but wanted to make it in America. And I think that that had a domino effect, which was not just the brands, but like the factories were pushed. You know, I mean, like the, the factories in San Francisco and LA that make a lot of jeans, those factories were not making jeans as well as they are today as they were, no, sorry, they're making them better today than they were 15 yeah. years ago. And a lot of that is because the brands and the designers and the production managers were reading your blog and were discovering that there is this sort of you know, Warehouse is a good example. It's a Japanese brand. It's one of the old, earliest Japanese brands. Osaka 5, if anyone's yeah. taking notes, you remember. <laughs> Warehouse was no. like the brand that linked, in my mind, truly linked like what you were doing and Americana and American brands in America and the J. Crew liquor store scene to like Japan. And I think that was just the domino effect was unbelievable. Yeah. And just it increased American production capabilities. Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll connect that because Todd Snyder, who was the designer of that yeah. at the time, yeah. when he was on the show, plug the show, um, when he was on the <laughs> show, he was like, oh, yeah, I have, was reading A Continuous Lean because he was really into Red Wings. And I yeah. believe you were, you were the Red Wing guy. Yeah. It, you know, I was, thinking about the, <laughs> the, I was thinking about this panel, and there was a... So I worked with Red Wing in the U.S. for a long time. And, Food company, FYI. And... There was a really popular style of chukka boots that they had made in America for a long time, and they didn't sell it in Japan. And the Japanese sort of assortment for the brand was much more, I don't want to say evolved, but it was like much more highly scrutinized than the American assortment, right? And they would push, and the designer for the whole group was like actually a Japanese guy that like knew every reference number, every style, every... Detail. It was encyclopedic knowledge of the product, but they had this one chocolate boot that was popular here, and they didn't sell it in Japan. But it was and, made here. 
And it was, everything was made here. Okay. Yeah. And I was surprised. And so once when I was there, I asked them, like, why isn't this sold in Japan? And the, one of the guys that ran the territory, one of the Japanese guys, like, pointed to this one turn in the stitching on the boot. And they're like, we just, we, we hate it. And we want them to change it, but they won't. So we won't sell it. And I was like, I never had even noticed it, yeah. right? And, and then I was like, this is so perfect. This is the perfect example of like, I was thinking for the panel, like, why, what is it about Japan? I'm like, I don't know, but like this sticks in my head as like a thing, yeah. you know? It's a good time to reference Alden too. I mean, Alden yeah. shoes in Japan are double what they cost in the U.S. But if I was to buy a pair of Aldens, I'd, I'd buy it in Japan because they're really, the distributor is really strict about QC and whatever yeah. they don't accept, they repair themselves in their own Japanese workshop. And whatever they don't, they can't repair it, they just send back. And so like the yield is low and there's a lot of extra logistics and hassle. And so that's why the price is so high. But the Aldens you get in Japan are actually really, really nice and of a higher average standard than anywhere else in the world. Wait, I, had, I didn't. This is, this is true with all, all American footwear. Okay, the, all footwear that's made in the U.S. being sold in Japan. What, what Mark just described is happening with Whites. It's happening with Wesco. Um, they have their own manufacturing facilities there. That Wesco's in, boot manufacturer. Wesco <laughs> boot manufacturer, White's boot manufacturer, both based out of Oregon, Portland. Yes, something like this. Um, and same with Red Wing, I'm sure. There's a different level of, like you said, the assortment of what they're offering in Japan is more interesting to me, at yeah. least. I think to most people here, maybe more interesting. And um, the distributors there have ironclad contracts that they cannot be sold outside of Japan. And that's what that's just the way the system works. It's like I think how Japan Japanese, being a little bit closed off in a certain way or yeah. being like its own sort of ecosystem, I think also drives some of the war of it as well. Like, you know, I think the it, there wasn't a lot of it bleeding into fashion, I think, at a certain point because it's it felt like pretty closed off in a lot of ways, right? Like it was most, most of those brands were really just thinking about their own sort of home market and not thinking about other places. And that's why also like the discovery of things there can be like such a rich experience because, you know, it's like things we're very used to seeing. It's like, even if it's like an American brand or, you know, any brand, but you see something and you're like, I can't believe that they're selling this thing here and yeah. you don't see it in America. Yeah. Also, I think from like a cost delta perspective it makes sense you know like if you're selling like the same footwear in japan than you are in the states and it's double the price in japan there has to be some sort of value added to this thing that you're just this 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 cost increase it's like how in japan they always get one extra song on every cd from every artist because you know this is because you guys remember cds remember cds (laughs) you know you know that you know that in japan um, if you buy a CD from any pretty much um, almost any major artist, um, the CD comes with one extra song. Yeah, like it, so the you don't worst get anywhere. Coldplay song it's that, thrown on the. It's not Coldplay. <laughs> I mean, every, everyone. Is it hard to tell which one's the worst? Oh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> that was going. That was going. I'm with you on that. Chris. I'm, I'm here for the across the stage. I'm, I'm knocks here. this over. <laughs> sings yellow. You can make you can make those jokes about Coldplay, but not about John Mayer. Yeah, so this, that's that. true. Yeah. John Mayer, everyone knows, yeah. Mister. Lover of yeah. all Japanese fashion and yeah. watches, anyway, et cetera. Yeah. You were saying. No, I mean, the, the, the many, I think it started in the 70s, I'm uh, sorry, in the late 80s, that um, Sony Records decided, because CDs were so expensive in Japan, we're going to make the artist put one extra track on the CDs only for Japan so that it feels okay paying so much for the CD in Japan. And still to this very day, if you go and buy any artist's CD in Japan, you get one extra track. 
That's crazy. So like yes. one of my buddies worked for a clothing company. Uh, the guy's name, if you're into clothes, you'd love it. It's Takahiro Miyashita. He had uh, did a brand called Number 9. He also did a brand that everyone loves called The Soloist. It's awesome. Look it up. And um, he was meeting with him and he was like, okay. Uh, and at the time, the brand was really only in Japan. And the way that uh, a lot of the showrooms were in Japan is you could just kind of come visit. So people would kind of come and view just clothes as like an art experience. Like, I'm just here to view the clothes. I'm not buying, you know, no thank you, but I want to view it. And so he had people coming in looking at it. And he's like, let me bring you to the U.S. I'm going to take your revenue. We're going to, you know, 200x. And we're going to do this. And we're going to grow you at this level and this level. And um, at the time, uh, Takahiro Mishida was speaking through a translator. And so he basically speaks to him for like 15 minutes, laying out like almost like a PowerPoint presentation of how he's going to grow his business. And he responds, why? <laughs> like that was it. That was it. And when you, you realize they're like, oh, because he was just content and he was making his art and he was doing it. And he was like, you know what? Like, no, thank you, because I can control all of this and I can guarantee that every single thing that is, you know, number nine or the soloist, I think at the time, like it will be this level. And like that, and I mean, there's your summary of like why that stuff is so good. It's just the ability to deliver above and beyond what people are, you know, used to. Um, I'm curious, like what what the you know, thinking no, yeah. about thinking about the like going someone going into showroom and then the buying process in Japan is so different, right? There's like many sort of research trips, right, where it's like go and ask lots of questions, maybe go home read about something online. Like think about like buying a Grand Seiko in Japan, like what it's like, and I bet it's like a pretty involved process. Mark, you bought GS in Japan? I mean, I mean, I have, but. Not an involved process. I found. <laughs> what about in the army? Like, has someone ever come in and walked away with a like? Come, saw Grand Seiko, bought the watch, went home. Yeah, I mean, there are people who come back a few times. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's always better, you know, because then you know definitely where you're getting. Yeah. Um, but you know, so when I bought, I was after some people know. I bought an HE one way back in the day before people realized it was like an important watch, and I got it at this jeweler that was like. I can't remember the area, and it was like under a freeway, and it had like no storefront. Like it was, a, it like had no mm-hmm. no storefront windows, it had no door. Just the whole front of the store opened Hell up yeah. like a garage, <laughs> and you walk in, and it's just display cases full of Grand Seikos, Rolexes, and APs. And they're actually like apparently one of the biggest AP and Rolex dealers in the world, right? Wow. And you just just go in, and you negotiate over the counter, and that was it. It was flex, it was really. Surreal. I kind of liked it. Have you been back to this place? I haven't. Could I, you find it if you? Yeah, know? I was going to no. say, is it still there? You're like, you go, I swear it was here. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Yoshida. So Yoshida, actually, I think, like Hodinki recently was like, oh, there's this um, really rare AP that was only released in the Japanese market. And no one knows about it. It just came out last year, and that was Yoshida. Actually, I wow. completely forgot it was those guys. It was Yoshida. Wow. Yeah, that's wild. That is gnarly. It was a. It was. It was fun though. I mean, it was cool. It was cool. Well, so like to kind of summarize some of this stuff in terms of the buying trips, because you've, you've bought stuff in Japan, you carried a lot of Japanese brands, and obviously you go to, I mean, post-pandemic, well, you know, like yeah. you were going to Japan a, lot, yeah. a ton. Yeah, what, a ton. How long were you allocating for buying trips? We would go, for the first four years, we were going four, three, four times a year, three, three, I think three or four times a year for the first four years, and then we dropped down to two times a year. So we've been something, I think we're on trip 45 or something now or something like those yeah. 15 years. But um, yeah, we'd go for a week at a time. The first trip, 
we didn't know what to expect. It was very funny. Like I didn't realize I shouldn't be showing up to the showroom wearing brands that are not in that showroom. So you need to wear the band shirt to the yeah, band so like, show? Yeah, so like, okay, from the second trip up until about three years ago where I stopped doing this, I think I just, yeah, I just stopped. I, stopped. Um, right. I would have a backpack with a change of clothes and change like in a taxi from one meeting to another because there's no way you could walk into the Ironheart meeting wearing warehouse jeans and a warehouse shirt. Like you have to, and then you just switch from brand to brand. Sometimes we'd have three meetings like one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and there's no time to go to the hotel because if you know in Japan, like the Tokyo, it takes forever to get places. And so you just like change in the taxi, you're changing the Starbucks bathroom, <laughs> and then you just go, that's how it was. Because the, that you need to respect the brand. And they sure. they would do that's the how, same. That's how Jeremy does every meeting in New York. Yeah. He changes yeah. in between each one. <laughs> Take your picks now. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. So that's well, and I you know, and it's funny because so much retail now and the experiences we have, Laura Piana down the street. Brunella Cuccinelli, a lot of them based how they shape their retail stores now through buying trips of Japan, but more importantly, through the experiences that they have. And, you know, it's interesting because I don't know, has anyone ever heard of a brand called Supreme? <laughs> okay. So the whole concept of like drop culture was based around in Japan. And I, I think like that's, that's something because a lot of people will try to like, oh, it's all, no, 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 it's, it's all about uh, Supreme. They did this. And if you look at almost everything you're getting at, like, you know, my wife bought, um, she's going to be pissed when this is recorded, whatever. I might edit it out. But like she bought like a pot through like, like a pot that you cook with through like a drop. You know, it's like Monday, you know, 10 a.m. You're getting like, and so if you go and you connect all those dots and they're like, oh, we learned this from Supreme buying a box logo shirt. And like, no, 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 that's like way before in Japan. And I think like that's like for me, that's one of the most like exciting things when you, when you think about that. Because there are brands like, I don't know, like Goro's, right? Yeah. Like where the it, the experience of that is, I mean, there's someone in the audience that has Goro, so you know, to, not to call him out, but like, well, standing in the line and meeting him, and well, when he was still alive, and yeah, yeah, okay. So you can you very you know quickly explain that because I think to for people to understand this, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, that was how I bought these Jordan shoes the other day. Okay, for, for the record, <laughs> I have never been inside. Okay, fair, fine. I've walked by. I'm not kidding. Probably 500 times in my life. I'm not gonna get. There's someone who owns a lot of it here. I can't say anything about. You should come up on stage. No, and no, tell no. Us about it. <laughs> but, like, but basically, um, the experience. It's it's that. it's yeah. on. Now we um, really want to hear it because he's going to be offended. So tell us. I know. <laughs> uh, there, it's it, it's a brand called Goros. And uh, does, you want to explain what Goros is? It, they make necklaces. Uh, no, it's metal. One, it was dope one guy, necklaces. One, okay, regardless, yeah. so it's a it's a store, and they sell uh, highly coveted jewelry. It's not expensive. It's actually, once you find out how much it is, it's actually, all of it's very affordable by any jewelry standard. Um, And it opens most days, not every day. Correct me if I'm wrong here, right? Most days. And it's um, on Omotosando Street in Shibuya. And it's on, like, you go up a little, it's in a really old building that's between a bunch of brand new buildings. Like, I think there's like a Ralph store next to it and a polo store on the left but like it's, you got to get a raffle ticket to to get in it line it used to not the, be like that it okay. used to be for, for when i first was seeing it we would see it in the mornings when we leave our hotel because we, we stay around there um kids would get in line like super early and they would stand in line hoping for it to open and they would go in but those were mostly resellers and i'm oh, not sure anyone ever heard of those point, yeah i'm not sure and we're, we're talking like literally like this is 15 years ago. So okay. I don't know how far back you'd have to go where the line was actually like 
people who wanted to wear the stuff and not so much mostly resellers. Because then by 2010, that line was like kids dipped in bape was who was sitting outside every morning, I would see. Flex. And those guys were generally reselling it. Um, and of course, then you can't buy it. Yeah, there's almost no, there's no like official retailers that sell Goros, right? That there's just like people who, there are stores around the world where you can go in and buy it and it is real, um, but they're like reselling it in a retail store. Uh, by the way, I made a very small living waiting in line at Bape when I was a young person in New York selling them to other people. So yeah. I apologize. Yeah, no. Um, I was 19. Yeah. So Goro is a legendary <laughs> brand, Japanese brand. Um, but like, he, th- he passed that away, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, Goro Takashi, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, is no longer with us. But like that whole experience of just like rarity and excitement and joy yes. and the, the, the privilege to purchase and all of that was just you know, created throughout, you know, like the Japanese appreciation yeah. of, of retail. And I think it's just so exciting to see a better joy and understanding. Cause like shoes, like Jordans are not that cool, but they're awesome because of the joy and the experience that You're you get canceled when, when they show. I know someone will be but, but like, no, I just like that sort of thing when it arrives. Yeah. I mean, the joy that yeah, yeah. you get when you receive it. And I just like, that's just something that's so exciting to me. I think a lot of Japanese retail, even like the, the drop idea, it's it just, Based out of necessity, I think in Japan because the retail retail is so structured there. Right, like sales take place. If for, for those of you who've not been to Japan before, um, sales in retail stores take place all at the same time in the entire city. Like you know, like Everything for instance, yeah. Sale? So like like January tenth is going to be the winter sale, and all stores can will and can put things on sale January tenth. Now there are stores that don't follow those rules but i think they're non there is an exception to it but i don't remember what it is but for all intents and purposes all stores in japan can have a sale at the same time during these like six day period and then they cannot have another one until this next time and that's determined by the retail organization of each city in japan okay thanks well all right we're we're gonna start to wrap up soon but like i want to go down here and like michael what was all of you guys have been to japan but what's one thing that you that you saw that su- that surprised you, and what's the advice that you give to people who are going there for the first time? Uh, I think that well, I'll start with the second part first. Um, sure. I think it's less intimidating to go there than you think. Uh, I think everyone thinks like it's this. You know, I'm going to have a hard time if you don't speak Japanese with the language barrier, and it's such a big city. It's so crazy. I actually crazy. I actually find uh, Tokyo to be a very like serene, peaceful, like quiet place. And a lot of times, like when I lived in New York and would come back from Tokyo, I would be surprised just how loud it is here and how loud it's not there. Mm. Like the whole like screeching train thing does not exist in Japan. There's like a million examples of this, right? Like all the sort of everyday like insanity of the city is is very different. So I think if you're at all interested, you should go. It's a very like easy place to navigate and everyone's very courteous and you'll be fu- you'd be fine to do to, to go and have a good time. Um, Things that surprised me, I mean, just the level of, like, complexity and, and detail-orientedness and sort of, like, the... There's so many ways in which the culture, like, every time I'm there, I'll, like... It's, I'll discover something that's interesting, and it's one of those places that really rewards, like, going up a flight of stairs to find some store that you would never know from the street or just, like, digging in and sort of focusing on little details and, like, you you very surprised like how much you'll discover there 
And that, like, to me is, like, just one of the best aspects of it. Nice. Mark, what about you? Um, go to the Seiko Museum. <laughs> the Seiko Museum is really good. Is that the Seiko Museum? Oh, yeah, 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 no, I'm serious. That's not a that, joke answer. Like, that's in the Seiko Museum was fabulous. It was where really that? fantastic. Where, where is it? Uh, it used to be way out past Ueno, and then oh. apparently they've moved it now. Oh, okay. um, and you can ask for an English tour. I think you might have to email in advance to get an English tour. When I went, there was an old gentleman who used to work um, in one of their foreign offices, and he took me around. And it's not just about the history of Seiko. It's about the history of how the Japanese kept time, right? Because the 24-hour clock is, is a Western concept, um, and they had their own system for it, which I won't elaborate now. But it's really fascinating. It's totally worth checking out. And uh, most memorable. Well, I mean, something you saw that like, just surprised you that's like, so unique to Japan. I don't know, mate. Vending machines? A lot of really good vending machines. Vending machines. Yeah, no, that's a legit yeah. answer. Vending machines are really good. Because everyone's like, oh, you go to 7-Eleven, you get a white shirt and a tie. And, <laughs> you know, okay, dude. Uh, <laughs> I mean, which is kind of a funny thing, though. I, oh, I yeah. definitely agree. It's bizarre, especially the airport lounges of, like, the perfectly automatic beer pour. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Big one else in the house. Yeah, right? Did yeah. you get one at your house? What, a beer machine? <laughs> yeah, because no, so if thing? anyone, uh, like, subscribes to Michael Williams thing, he always is like, the coolest stuff you want to buy for your house for Japan, uh, from the, Japan. Yeah, no, we never bought one though. We do have a wash at our house. So you do, Ooh, yeah, nice. Go ahead, yeah. nice. I'm in. Uh, would it be weird if I like invited myself to come over to your house to use the restroom? Next like, time, <laughs> next time you're in town. <laughs> next time you're in town. Oh, why is Jeremy here? Oh, he's just uh, he's the I bathroom. Flew, I just need you know. So. He needs like uh, yeah. We won't get into the details of that. <laughs> Sorry, can't. What about what the, you? What's the question? Well, basically, something no yeah, one I really knows. threw it off talking about, you know, um, but like, so what's the advice that you give to people when they're going to Japan for the first time? And then what's something that you saw and experienced there that, you know, is unique to that? I think something I learned over the years that the best advice I'd give is to not stay in Tokyo the entire time. Um, mm. I love Tokyo, but I, it, it, I think for the first, oh no, that's not true. The second time we went to Japan, we left Tokyo. Um, but you, you have to leave Tokyo. To, Japan, to me is so many things and Tokyo is none of those things. It's sort of everything at once, including a lot of international influences. Um, and it's an amazing city, but Japan, when we talk about the history of Japan, the heritage of Japan, the Japanese design ethos as a whole, that you see more of that outside of Tokyo. You see that in Osaka, you see that in Kyoto, you see that in the mountains in Nagano, you see that in Okayama where all the mill, the fabric mills are, the heavy fabric mills are. Um, is to leave Tokyo. Uh, yeah. I have many friends. We have friends um, who go to Japan a lot for fun. They're not in any industry that takes them to Japan, and they've never left Tokyo. And um, I, I can see why I just... Is that like um, staying in Manhattan sort of thing? Is that like... It's like coming to America 10 times and only going to New York City. And cool. you're like, that's okay. cool, but there's America's so interesting and yeah. so varied, you know, just as varied as Japan. America is just that varied across the country, and you'd want to check out the different parts of the country. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's a leap to you. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much. Everyone, thank, thank you. you for hanging out with us. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. We will see you around. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, there's plenty more where that came from over at blamopod.com or search Blamo wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks again to Grand Seiko for having us, and we'll see you all soon.